This morning we draw our study of Paul's letter to Titus, a pastoral, personal letter to a young preacher to a close. As we've noted, Paul wrote the letter after being released from house arrest in Rome, traveling to Spain, revisiting many of the churches in Asia Minor and Europe, and leaving Titus on the island of Crete. While there, they either established churches throughout the island or found young churches that had already been established. But either way, the churches of Crete were in need of more help than Paul could provide with a short visit. So he left Titus there to appoint elders in every city and to set in place what was needed for the churches to thrive and mature. After leaving, Paul wrote to Titus, detailing what he needed to do and teach. And we conclude our study of that letter by looking at Paul's final admonitions to Titus, things I'm sure he would have us do as well. We're in Titus chapter 3, the first part, of verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Now, what is the trustworthy statement? It's not what Paul is going to say, it's what he has already said. The trustworthy statement is the good news he has just delivered in Titus 3 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's an amazing statement of the gospel. We use that as our Christmas text this year. And I stated at that time that, that this is the finest gospel statement I think we can find in the epistles. And uh, had an interesting confirmation of that yesterday morning. Uh, George Brown, sitting right there, good friend of mine, uh, professor of English and literature up at Great Lakes Christian College and one of my kids. How's that? He was a youth in my youth group, along with Marilyn, you know, years ago, <laughs> and his wife, Kathy. And uh, George and I met together. He's, he's here for his uh, mother-in-law's 90th birthday party, and I trust you had a good celebration last night. All right. And uh, so he called, and we met at Cracker Barrel at 9 o'clock, and we dominated that table until a little after one. I'm, I, I'm sure we had a real happy waitress. Uh, I trust you were generous, George. Okay, all right, all right. I wasn't. <laughs> you all know me better than that. <clears throat> but uh, we were talking about everything. You know, we, we uh, get a chance to see each other once a year or so. And uh, he knew I'd been preaching through, through Titus and and, uh, you know, they get my, my sermons and all that kind of stuff. But we got talking, and he said, you know, there's a passage in Titus 
that uh, I have my students diagram. I go, whoa, man, flash back to high school, you know. And it was this very sentence. That, that whole phrase I just read to you is one sentence. And I can't imagine. I, I wish I'd thought of this yesterday, George. I would have had you with a blackboard up here, if we had a blackboard, uh, and uh, have you diagram it. Because this is an amazing statement of the gospel. And I was thinking through this diagramming process and uh, all this stuff. You know, if you drew it out, the heart of the message is in three little words. He saved us. I guess you call that subject, verb, object. Is that close? Is that right? Whoo! All right. All right. The subject is what? He. What did he do? Saved whom? Us. That's the gospel. And all the rest just explains the gospel. This is the message that Titus was to, to declare boldly throughout the island of Crete and throughout the world. It's the good news that God loves us and came to earth to save us. That because our righteousness wasn't sufficient to merit salvation, He mercifully came to do what we could not do for ourselves. He came to wash us and make us new through His Spirit. And by making it possible for us to peer in His sight just as if we'd never sinned, He made us heirs of the hope of eternal life. That's the good news. Titus was to confidently speak and it's the good news, the gospel, that we can confidently speak in the world today. Obviously, there's lots of bad news in the world today. And it's easy to become pessimistic about life and the future. But we have a message that can bring real hope and lasting change. Not just hope and change. Real hope and lasting change. We have a message that can change men's hearts and their behavior. We're all concerned about men's behavior with some horrific things that are happening in our society. We have a message that can change that. We have a message that needs to be heard. We have a message that can change men's hearts and their behavior. So we speak it confidently and we put it into practice by engaging in good deeds. Last half of verse 8. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. You know, it's essential that everyone be taught the truth as revealed in God's word. That they understand what God has done for them and what he expects of them. What God has done for us is the doctrinal base upon which we build our life. And so we have to get it right. But once the doctrinal base is laid, our beliefs need to be put into practice. We have to respond appropriately to what God has done for us. And what is it that God expects of us? Should we write a long list of things? No, it's simply that we engage in good deeds. How simple is that? 
That's what he expects of us. That we engage in good deeds. Paul told Titus to speak the truth confidently so that those who believe it will be careful to engage in good deeds. And what is the good that we're to do? Well, I think Micah had a good understanding of what God expects of those who believe in him. In Micah 6.8, we read, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? For several years, I've said that's my favorite verse. Sometimes I forget where it's found, but it's still my favorite verse. (laughs) What an amazing statement. Now, Micah is not telling us what we must do to be saved. No one can save themselves by doing good. But once we are brought back into a relationship with God through faith in what he has done for us, we are expected to do good. We are to engage in good deeds. We are to be fair and just with all men. And we are to treat others with the same unmerited kindness that's been shown to us. A life of good deeds is obviously a profitable way to demonstrate our faith. Arguing about our faith is not. Verse 9. But shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You know, it's easy to think we're religious because we discuss religious things. And there's obviously a need for religious teaching and discussion. But a lot of religious talk is foolish, unprofitable, and worthless. And if we get caught up in it, our faith becomes foolish, unprofitable, and worthless. So Paul told Titus to shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. Likewise, we must avoid religious controversies that generate more heat than light. Controversies about things in the past, in the present, or in the future that have not been clearly revealed to us in God's Word. You know, walking humbly with God means we acknowledge there are some things we just don't know. Some things God has not fully revealed, and therefore some things we just don't fully understand. And so we don't get caught up in controversies about those things. Religious heritage and class distinction was a larger problem in the earlier church than today, I think. But we all need to be reminded of what Paul said in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. 
There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That pretty well addresses any possible rivalry about personal genealogy or special privilege in the church. Questions about the law and legalism were also addressed by Paul in Galatians when he wrote, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, obviously, we should discuss the laws and commandments of God and seek to apply them to situations we face in life. But getting caught up in strife and disputes about the law and becoming so legalistic that we're always out to prove a point or condemn our brother is not loving your neighbor as yourself. Foolish controversies damage the witness of the church and are to be avoided. In fact, those who would promote such are to be dealt with firmly and swiftly. Verses 10 and 11. Reject a factious man after a first or second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Factious men are those who would divide the church over differing opinions. In fact, they are heretics. The word translated factious is eretikon, heretic. A heretic is someone who chooses to believe a partial truth because he doesn't like or doesn't understand the truth as revealed and who then elevates his opinion to the level of doctrine and condemns those who disagree with him. Someone who willingly destroys the unity of the church to promote his opinion or to get his way. Paul says such men are to be warned once or twice, and if they won't back off, they're to be rejected by the church. They are to be shut out and ignored because those who intentionally seek to divide the church are perverted, sinful, and self-condemned. Now, that's not saying everyone who disagrees with you is self-condemned. And it's not saying there's no room for dialogue and differences of opinion in the church. But it is saying that those who would intentionally divide the church over heretical stands or personal opinion are to be dealt with firmly and swiftly so the church can get back to doing good and meeting needs. Verses 12 through 14. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Now we learn some important principles about meeting needs here in Paul's personal notes at the end of the letter. We really don't know anything about Artemis 
but assume he was a faithful companion and co-worker like Tychicus. And we do know that Paul sent Tychicus as a special envoy to Ephesus and Colossae, and that he delivered several of Paul's letters. And Paul was now planning to send Artemis or Tychicus to Crete. So Titus had come to him in Nicopolis on the western coast of Greece. Apparently, Paul had a need that only Titus could meet. So when the bases were covered in Crete, Titus was to come to him. And no doubt, he did. You know, there are some needs only we can meet that I must deal with personally. And we are expected to meet such needs when they arise. There are other needs that the church as a whole can and should meet. Paul told Titus to diligently help Zenos and Apollos on their way. They were probably the bearers of the letter on an extended assignment and needed to keep going. Titus was to help them. And he was to get the church involved in meeting their needs as well. The whole church was to be involved in meeting the pressing needs that existed in the kingdom. They were to work together as well as individually in meeting needs. And that is vital for a church. A church is a body and must experience life as a body. And nothing pulls a church together more than a mutual ministry of meeting needs. Now, we do have to be careful here. It is possible to get so caught up in meeting physical needs that a church overlooks its primary mission. That it begins worrying more about the approval it has in the community than meeting the spiritual needs that really exist in the community. We've got to be careful about getting caught up in things that are good, but not the good we're really called to do. But a church that ignores pressing needs, especially within the body of Christ, and that, quite frankly, is the focus of our attention, that church will be judged as unfruitful. So let's pray for wisdom in meeting needs that come before us. Needs that can be met individually by one of you or me, as well as those that should be met corporately by all of us working together to meet that need. And Paul's final admonition to Titus and to us is greet those who love us. It says, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, that doesn't mean he was from Tennessee. Paul always sent greetings. And he encouraged the exchange of greetings. All who are with me greet you. You greet those who love us in the faith. Believers are to be encouraged to openly demonstrate love for one another. Now, I realize some of us get a bit uncomfortable in a hug. 
And few, if any of us, would advocate the holy kiss that was practiced by the early church. But a personal greeting, a hearty welcome, and a firm handshake should be offered to everyone who joins us in worship. Church is to be a warm and loving community, and we must make it a priority to greet one another. No one should ever come to the doors of this church without being greeted, and not just by someone who has been designated as the greeter for that Sunday. Now, we do that. We don't want to miss anybody, but never assume, well, the greeter does the greeting. It's your job, every one of us, okay? If you see someone you don't know, make a point to greet them. If you see someone you do know and haven't seen for a week, greet them. Paul always made that a point in his letters. And sometimes we're so busy with ourselves and our lives, we just come in and we're oblivious to those around us. It's important that we greet one another. And then, as always, Paul ended this letter on a note of grace. And it is God's grace that is to be openly and freely expressed in our personal lives and in our corporate life as the body of Christ. If we would honor the Word of God and adorn the doctrine of God, those two phrases that we found in the heart of this letter that I think summarize what the letter is all about. Our responsibility to honor the Word of God and adorn the doctrine of God, something we do, not only by what we say, but by what we do. If we would do that, we will demonstrate to the world the reality of our faith by the love we show to one another. Is that what Jesus said? They'll know who you are by your love. I think that can be our final admonition from Paul's letter to Titus.